Uh, tonight I want to think about a, a word that I don't think that we actually understand here in Australia. I think our, our parents probably understood it and I think that other cultures probably understand it. But I'm not convinced that in Australia today we really understand the word. And I'm not convinced here in church today we understand this word either. A few years ago I was in India and I think they understand this word. Let me give an example. I went to someone's house and in this house there were three generations. There were, there were children, there were parents and, and there were grandparents. And even though the grandparents were frail and didn't have all the, the skills of eloquence, those grandparents were treated with dignity and they were listened to and they were respected. And then I met a pastor and you know he walked about the village and people would shake his hand, Christians and non-Christians. And people in the church would actually listen to him and obey him and respect him as a man with authority. That, that, that's our word for tonight, the word, I don't even understand, the word is respect. Or as Aretha Franklin said, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Respect. It's not a word we do well here in Australia. Yes, I see kids, and it's not just that childish disobedience. It's just lack of respect. And I go into schools, and you see pupils who are abusing their their teachers. It's lack of respect. And in our society, you know, God has placed in our society men and women to, to lead us a Prime Minister, a Premier of State, a MPs, local mayor, sure, we might not agree with their policies but we should respect them, not badmouth them, not slander them, not treat them with contempt. It's true of both parties, I mean, don't really see in the movie The Queen, uh, as a scene in the movie where Tony Blair has just been appointed as Prime Minister and the Queen can't quite cope with his modern day attitude, his familiarity if you want, and she says, Oh, he's not one of these call me Tonys, is he? And so these politicians, they, they pursued familiarity. They want to be matey, but, but actually they've lost respect in some ways. You know, I've been in Australia now for five years, and one thing struck me when I first arrived is just lack of respect. You know? Someone who was 15 years younger than me was calling me their mate. And, and we talked to blokes who were 30 years our senior, and we called them buddy. And you know, you meet people's parents and it's no longer Mr. and Mrs. but it's just all first name terms. And in, in the workplace, I mean, we've got a shift in our workplace to an open plan sort of community if you want. And with that shift there's come a shift in attitude I think. So again, senior partners are now just a mate. And the CEO is, is just a, a buddy to have a beer with. And the idea that a person has authority over you has a kind of knee-jerk reaction. And our attitude here seems to be, uh, they need to learn, need to, need to earn my respect. They must earn my respect. And we no longer respect people just for their position or their authority or their experience or their age. And the same is true in church. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that ministers and pastors and bishops should be distant and authoritarian, but gone are the days when people respect and honour their ministers or, or their bishops. And gone are the days when people look up to or listen to and obey what their leaders say. Now, now why is that? I think it's because we've got such a puffed up view of ourselves. 
is kind of like arrogance or pride. And we think the most important person in the world is is me. And so why should I respect somebody else? Henri Amiel said this, he said, there's no respect for others without humility in oneself. There's no respect for others without humility in oneself. And friends, I want to say the gospel should humble us. We are nothing without Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. Because of God's grace, there's no one better than me. I'm only who I am in Christ because of God's grace shown to me in Jesus. But that doesn't mean that I don't respect people. Respect is there throughout the Bible. We're called to respect our parents. We're called to respect wives, respect their husbands. The employer, respect their employer. The church, to respect their pastor, teacher. Respect. That's the big theme for tonight because that's the main message of 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you just joined us, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a man who's about 37 years old. He's been left in charge of a church in Ephesus. And in Ephesus there's all these teachers, they're false teachers, it's wrong teaching and, and godless living. And the problem with that is this, that, that in God's wisdom he has left the truth in the church. He's left his truth with men and women called the church. And, and God's desire is that all men and all women come to know the truth and are saved. And so the way that we relate as church, the way that we respect each other, will either make the gospel attractive and lead people to Christ or it will lead people to hell and in chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 he's looked at relationships in general you know the way you treat older men and, and older women and younger men and younger women and he looked at widows and tonight we've got two other types of relationships in the church and in the workplace so firstly tonight respect in the church respect in the church now the church isn't perfect is it Charles Spurgeon said don't wait until you find the perfect church before you join one because even if you found it if you joined it it would cease to be perfect there's no such thing as a perfect church but God has placed leaders in the church and, and Paul calls them elders there in verse 17 look at it with me the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour especially those whose work is preaching and teaching he says that there's a group of, of leaders or elders and, and they're involved in, in governing or ruling or managing God's household. There'll be a subset of those who are called teachers and preachers uh, and they'll pastor the flock and they will teach the scriptures and they'll rebuke and they'll correct and they'll, they'll sit down with people and point them to Christ. Uh, and if these men, according to chapter 3, are above reproach, you know, no one can point the finger at them. And if these men are desiring that noble task, not because of a title or position or power, but the task of growing people in Christ. And if they're doing that well, verse 17, we're to respect them. Verse 17, they're worthy of, of double honour. That, that, that phrase there, double honour, is not a kind of a bonus. It's not like a pastor of the month. I was at a church 18 months ago, a big church here in Sydney, and about halfway through the service, there were three couples up, up, up on the stage, if you want, and they were all Bible study leaders and they were having a Bible study leader of the month and there were these three couples up there and then the, the, the couple were announced this was the Bible, Bible study leader of the month and this couple won a holiday to Fiji that is outrageous that is not what it means by double honour the double honour here is respect, yes and pay if they're in full time paid ministry appreciation and remuneration to respect your church leaders I mean you, you honour them 
You hold them in the highest regard. Listen to these words from from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, because of their work, because of their teaching, because of their their labour. See, this elder isn't in ministry for the, for the fan club or the, the back patting. He needs to make sure he's not just playing to the crowd but to the audience of one. But if he's doing that well, then please appreciate him and please honour him. You know, that would mean being thankful, you know, lifting your thanks to God for the leaders that God has placed in this church and expressing your gratitude face to face and not bad-mouthing them behind their back or slandering or not whinging about little things that he or she does. And part of that respect or, or appreciation or honour is obedience. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 30 and they're quite striking and quite countercultural. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, the responsibility of eldership is massive. Leaders will be judged more harshly, and that's right because we'll either lead people to salvation or to, or to hell. And given that responsibility, in light of that God given responsibility, please, part of respecting eldership is to obey them. And that means, you know, when, when the leader makes a, a decision that you might not have been part of, or you might not like a decision that's been made, it means trusting him, having confidence that he's made a prayerful and godly decision. And you know, when hard things might need to be said, we should be able to hear those, not, not as a crushing thing, but as someone who wants to see you grow in Christ and, and obey him. And I, I fear we've got this kind of independent streak which says, you know, no one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. And we live in a culture which says, you know, you need a relationship before you can rebuke me. And the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God has placed people in authority and they're called elders or leaders, so please respect them and please obey them. And to be very honest, here's a concern about Church by the Bridge. What I sometimes see or experience is this kind of, this childish kind of, look. I don't like that so I'm not going to do it. And it's not as transparent as, you know, stamping our feet. It, we're, more t- we're more sort of grown up than that. We, we talk to others and we get a little gang together, we manipulate them, but we won't obey. And it's exhausting, it's utterly exhausting. It's like people playing games all the time. And let me say, I've seen good men and great men crushed in ministry who are no longer leading churches. Why? Because of people. Because of people who refuse to listen and need to be part of every decision and they slander when they don't quite get what they want. And they treat ministers like, almost like robots without feelings. The Bible says if your leaders are doing a good thing and they're godly men, they're longing for kingdom growth, then appreciate them, respect them, honour them. They're worthy of double honour. The, the second part of that double honour is, is remuneration. Paul basically says just, just pay them properly. Billy Graham um, was a, is a leader, a great leader. He wrote a biography called Just As I Am. I think it's up there on the screen. And in his biography, he, he grapples with the question of pay. And he grapples for years, now, should he be paid or should he just accept a love gift? And he, he comes to the conclusion that, 
there's nothing wrong with payments. It's actually more above board or more above reproach. You should actually pay them a salary. And that's the biblical principle here. Look at verse 18. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it's turning out the grain. Quoting Deuteronomy 24, he's saying, If God is concerned that working animals are adequately fed, if God is concerned for the ox that's working hard, how much more concern must God have for his church workers, his elders? Or the second half of verse 18, the worker deserves his wages. So it's not particularly flattering to be compared to an ox or a, uh, a farm lady, but it's okay <laughs> because it's hard work. Both are hard work. You know, handling the scriptures well is hard work. Preaching and teaching is hard work. Sweating over the scriptures is hard work. People are amazed when I say it takes like 12 to 15 hours to prepare a sermon. I think they think you wake up on a Sunday morning and just, just preach. It's hard work. And anyone who's in leadership should be compensated. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 13. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what's offered at the altar. In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. He's saying as ministers, as leaders, you should be supported financially and materially. I'm going to say here that I, I know you don't pay my wage and you don't pay Mark's wage and you don't pay Ben's wage or Steph's wage or Des's wage but, but your giving, your generosity it will determine how many workers we have here next year and the year after so the gospel will go out and of course money is a dangerous thing Paul goes on to talk about that in chapter 6 the love of money is the root of all evil and of course there will be, there'll be ministers and leaders who abuse the perks and of course there will be there'll be churches where you rightly question you know, the lifestyle or, or standard of living of the minister but if the elders leading the church well please don't think they can just live on, on bread and water the double honour is respect and remuneration but of course not all leaders will, will be doing that well there will be some leaders in church who are distorting the truth and leading ungodly lives and it'll be money, it'll be immorality, it'll be power it corrupts and part of respect in the church is discipline it's about rebuking ungodly elders. And you'll see that there in verse 19 and 20. Don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. A discipline is a, is a good thing, isn't it? To be disciplined is a really good thing. When I was at school, uh, one of my mates was called Tim. He was caught shoplifting. And I remember the way that his parents disciplined him. And they did it for, for his sake, but also for our sake, for all his other friends, as a warning, if you want. Uh, when I was uh, writing up my uh, PhD, um, one of my colleagues was caught plagiarizing. And he was disciplined for cheating. And it was a real wake-up call for me as I, as I was writing up. And it's the same with church leaders. Ungodly leaders, ungodly elders need to be disciplined. They need to be rebuked for their sake and for others' sakes. And there's kind of a grievance procedure here. You know, when someone has an accusation against a, a Bible study leader or against me or against Mark, what do we do? We weigh it up, verse 19. Don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. The Old Testament principle, two or three witnesses... Why is that? Why do you need witnesses? I want to suggest it's because church leaders are very prominent people. It's kind of a, 
a public figure if you want it's like a goldfish bowl and everyone sees what you're doing and so when a leader rebukes someone or when they disappoint someone the, the sinfulness of man can mean and sometimes does mean that a smear campaign is started it might be very subtle you know the odd negative comment slipped in or the elaboration of a story or the half truths Calvin said this none are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers they may perform duties conscientiously and correctly yet they never avoid a thousand criticisms and I've seen again a smear campaign ruin someone's ministry it's just not popular isn't it you're standing up and you're preaching you're preaching for the bible you're preaching against pluralism you're making the tough calls on sex outside of marriage or abortion or greed or selfishness and people don't like it and the accusations will fly and Paul is saying here no no don't listen to the gossip make sure there's two or three witnesses but if there are two or three witnesses the flip side of the coin you must do something about it the principle is kind of you know be cautious in accusing but be bold in rebuking because there'll be some leaders verse 20 who are sinning the verb in verse 20 is a continuous sense those who are sinning the ongoing unrepentant sin and those people need to be rebuked publicly verse 20 it's like get the man up the front in front of the congregation let's deal with the matter openly and publicly have you ever seen that done in a church and when you do it he says Timothy don't show any favoritism verse 20 verse 21 I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism he's saying look just because he's a good bloke doesn't mean you show him favoritism no leader should be led off the hook if you want because of a strong personal attachment you know the man's popular he's doing a good work and even though his ungodliness his double life is exposed people say oh he's only human we all struggle and that, that's true and, and of course God forgives him but he needs to be rebuked publicly and that sounds harsh doesn't it and that sounds unloving why is he rebuked publicly verse 20 tells us so that others may take warning it's for the sake of other people the others in verse 20 it includes other elders but it benefits the whole church the whole church sits up and takes notice when they see a, a leader fall and God uses that experience to almost give us the fear of God and to say you know there but the grace of God go I we rebuke for the sake of others and we rebuke ultimately for the sake of the gospel you know, God's desire for all people to be saved and so when leaders when so called godly men stumble and fall people just laugh at the church and they laugh at Jesus and it shatters people's faith let me give you some examples there's a man in this diocese who used to be a minister he's no longer a full time paid minister and his issue was internet pornography and it was only when his, when his computer went through repair they found all this stuff on the computer and he was removed from ministry but he was never actually rebuked publicly and people from that church are still suffering and their faith is shattered there's a, a guy in the UK who's no longer ministering why? because after years and years and years his, his kids finally spoke out and exposed what his home life was really like he was a violent man in the home and as it came out, you know, people's faith was shattered. And I mentioned right at the beginning of this series, Roy Clements, who left his wife and three kids for 
another man a homosexual relationship and people in that church are still suffering and we need to rebuke the leaders who fall because the fallout is massive because people feel deceived and they question what was, what's been said and for those of us who are leaders this is a wake up call you know, to be warned, to recognise our sinfulness and to be, be disciplined respect in church involves honouring, remuneration rebuking and, and lastly wise selection you know, so when the elder sins who do we place them with? when we need a new, new barbershop leader who do we ask? Paul's advice here is select with care like the signs you see, you know, handle with care. He says, select with care. Look with me at verse 22. Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking any water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious and even those that are not cannot be hidden. He's saying, look, don't be hasty, Timothy. The tendency is to be premature, to make ill-considered decisions. Watch their life. Watch their doctrine. Watch how they relate to others. Listen to how they speak. See how they handle conflict. See who they disciple. Look at their marriage. Watch their attitude to money. Be wise, Timothy. Be wise. Why? Why to be wise? Why to be cautious in selecting elders? Because of sin. That's there in verse 24. The sins of some men are obvious. I've been in full-time paid ministry now for seven years. And one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, first impressions can be very deceptive. You know, first impression can be deceptive. The person who so often appears, you know, the upfront, the, the confident, the outgoing, the godly person, over time, their real life appears. And for those people who, when you first meet them, they're, they're quiet and they're shy and they're, they're not pushing themselves forward as you watch them, as you see the way they relate to people, they see how godly they really are. It's what I call the, the iceberg principle. You know, nine-tenths of your life is actually hidden, and you only see a tenth of the person's life. It's like the film The Titanic, isn't it? You know, Why did the Titanic sink? It wasn't just the, the tip that they saw, it was actually the massive block of ice that actually destroyed that ship. And in the same way, you know, some sins are evident... So the, the, the bit above the water, the bit above the surface. When you talk to someone, after 10 minutes, you can write down words like, you know, sexually immoral, greedy, proud, arrogant, money grabbing. You don't choose them as leaders. But for some people, on the, the one tenth, the tip, they look very good. But as you watch them, then you spot their jealousy. And 12 months down the track, the cracks appear, and you begin to discover the, the lies and the deceits. It's the same with the good deeds. Some are obvious, some are only obvious in time. Over time you see some people, they're not pushy, they're not, they're not dynamic, they're not an obvious leader, but their godliness shines and their love for Jesus and the scriptures, and they, they're the elders. And that's why we need to take time in choosing leaders here. To discern between what is seen and what's unseen. The, the, the surface and the deep if you want. But I want to urge you, friends, when that's happened when choices have been made please respect that leader that elder please honour him or her please don't whinge and please don't question or ostracise see respect in this church respect in this church will either make the gospel very very attractive and will see people one for Christ or they're just this little, little club of independent selfish people who don't respect anybody 
That's the first thing, respect in the church. Outside of the home, outside of the church, where's the most, where do we spend most of our time in our workplace? And much, much more briefly, he says respect in the workplace. That's our second point tonight. Paul is addressing slaves, and the principle is the same. He says respect those God has put in authority over you. When, when you hear the word slaves, please don't think black African slaves with all the barbarics that went with that. It's New Testament slavery. It's very different. A slave was someone who, who lived in a house, who worked in a house, who a bit like a, a living servant, a domestic help. I'm not saying it was a desirable position. It wasn't desirable. They'd never have their own home. They never had much money. They had no real rights. That's why it's called the, the yoke of slavery here in verse 1. But he's saying, whether you're a slave or not, respect your master. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of respect. He's saying your attitude should be, I'll do what you want, master. I won't begrudge you. I won't belittle you. I won't slander you. I won't whinge about you. It's full respect. And if your, belie- if your boss is a, a believer, we think, oh, surely that makes a difference. If your, your master's a believer, I mean, you sit in church together on a Sunday and you go to the same Bible study. Surely the relationship is different. Yes, it is different, but there's still respect. Verse 2. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they're brothers. Instead, they're to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. He's saying that if your master's a Christian... Don't take liberty. Don't play the brother card or the equality card. Don't become over-familiar. It's not less respect, but, but more respect, harder work, because you're part of the same family. Now, again, what's at stake? Why is it important in the workplace or the slave master that we respect our masters? Paul is not primarily, primarily concerned about rights. He's not concerned about working conditions or wages or happiness or health. What's his primary concern? It's there in verse 1. Look at it. They're worthy of full respect. Why? So that God's name and our teaching might not be slandered. So that unbelievers won't look at the way that the Christian slave treats his master and say, oh, those Christians, they're just hypocrites. And so the unbelievers won't, won't ridicule the teaching of the Bible. And so the unbelievers won't say, oh, that man, he stands in church, he sings the songs, he, he takes notes on the sermon, he, then he goes out and he just he belittles his boss. Now, of course, we don't have slaves today and it's slightly different for us in the workplace. You know, If we can't get on with our boss, we can just leave, can't we? But there is some sort of principle here that God has placed over us bosses or, or masters who have authority. And how should we relate? It's not just that, um, hey, buddy, let's have a beer. It's that, that respect. It, maybe your boss is particularly difficult and maybe he's tough on you because you're a Christian but you know what happens if you just slag him off or if you question his demands or you blatantly disobey what happens everyone in the workplace looks at you they look at the way that you're relating to your boss and the gospel is not attractive and they say oh he's a hypocrite or perhaps your boss is a Christian and you know, perhaps you pray together every morning but please don't let that relationship lessen the respect please honour him with your words and with your work you know we spend about 60 to 70% of our waking hours in the workplace 60 to 70% of our waking hours in the workplace roughly and people will see the way that you relate to your bosses they'll, they'll see the way that the Christians respond to a stressful boss or the way you handle demands or the way that you do your timesheets or 
time you spend for your lunch I have to say disrespectful disobedient Christians it's a disgrace to the gospel so what Paul is saying here friends is that relationships matter relationships matter because God wants people to be saved he's left us with the truth he's left us with the gospel and the way that you relate to one another here in church older and younger here in church people to the minister or to the leaders and in your workplace it matters why? because we want God's name to be honoured we want people to know Christ and we ourselves want to be known as a people who are obedient people let's pray